had some good singing this morning. Did you guys come up that song before the forecast? That's, that's good stuff. Let's pray together, family. Lord God, thank you so much for seeing us through the storms. I mean, literally and spiritually. You're just a good God to every one of us. We're glad to uh, be here for sure, Lord, but what thrills us and knocks our socks off is that you're here. Already moving around, crowd touching us, opening up our hearts and our eyes. We long for that. That's why we're here, to hear from you and to be touched and transformed by you in the likeness of Christ, whom we love and pray in the name of. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Okay, so I'm just going to admit it straight up. I am having a blast watching Tiger Woods come back. I mean, I, I know I shouldn't be a Tiger Woods fan, but we always have been. But I'll tell you, whether you're a Tiger Woods fan or not, this comeback has been epic to watch. I mean, this is one of the greatest comebacks in sports. I mean, he won the Masters this year. By the way, we were there, not for that day, but we were there that week, got to walk Augusta. It's just been amazing to watch, uh, to see this guy. And whether or not you're a fan, you got to admire it. I mean, what a comeback. Several back surgeries. One of them was experimental infusion. They didn't know if he'd ever pick up a club again, let alone compete, let alone professionally and win the Masters. It's just been amazing. But I was thinking this week, there's a lot of kids out there right now watching Tiger Woods, and they're watching him, and what they're thinking goes way past admiration. There's some kids watching Tiger Woods play right now, and they're thinking to themselves uh, as they watch him, something way down deep is clicking, and their hearts are pounding, and their minds are racing, and they're thinking, if he can hit a ball around a tree like that, so can I. If Tiger Woods can drive a ball 370 yards, so can I. If Tiger Woods can put a, a 15, 20-foot putt, a, a, a five-foot draw, I can do it. And so they're doing it. They're, they're reading articles. They're watching videos. They've got them a coach. They're going down to the driving range, and they're thinking, one day I'm going to be Tiger Woods. And who knows, they might be. See, they've gone way beyond admirer. They've turned into a follower. There's a big difference. Now, I'm not in that category personally. I love golf. I like to play. I can't believe it's been two weeks. Doesn't look like I'm going to play today. Probably have to watch it a little bit if we don't lose power. But I'm not going to change my life for golf, you know. I'm an admirer, not a follower. A big, big difference. An admirer, uh, they, they, uh, they like it and they look at it and they applaud it. But a follower is devoted. An admirer will cheer things on and, and get caught up in it, but a, a follower surrenders big time. You see the difference? Look, Martin Luther King had a lot of admirers. He had people march with him, but he had very few followers who had their houses bombed and went to jail with him. You, you, the difference. Um, Mother Teresa had a lot of admirers. Very few people followed her into the dark alleys and the destitute where his life and death. Now, here's the reason I bring this up. I'm still in the Old Testament, and I've been reading this week about one of Israel's good kings, King Hezekiah. And it's good because they had so many bad kings. They finally got a good king. And I bring this up this morning because he was not an admirer of the Lord. He was a fully devoted follower. And when you find a fully devoted follower like he was, you'll find that it not only changes the person, it changes the people around the person. And in this instance, it changed an entire nation. And by the way, I'm hoping that that describes you and I 
in terms of our relationship to Jesus Christ. I, have, I hope everybody in here is a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Because I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of admirers out there these days. A lot of people love to talk about Jesus and hear about Jesus, sing about Jesus, come to church a little bit, surrender once in a while. But there are a few people out there right now that you start talking about Jesus Christ and something clicks way down deep inside and their heart starts pounding and their mind starts racing and they start saying things like, Jesus, yeah, Jesus, I was chasing that all my life and didn't even know it and now I found it. Are you kidding me? I've got forgiveness of my sins. I've got a relationship with the God of the universe again. I've got this place where I don't have to worry and fret and live in fear every day. I've gotten to a place where I'm not surrounded by sexual desire, and I'm getting rid of some of my bad habits. I mean, things are moving forward to me. I'm not worried so much about money all the time. I'm part of God's family, and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm not afraid of death. If I die, I'm going straight to heaven. I'm part of that. Are you kidding me? I'd rather have Jesus than anything else the world has to offer. In fact, if I could have everything else but Jesus, I'd turn it down. And I'm telling you, I'm serious. Because of that, I'm all in. Whatever he says, I'm going to do, man. I, I'm all about it. I, I'll give what he tells me to give. I'll say what he tells me to say. I'll go where he tells me to go. I'll surrender where he tells me to give. I'm leaving the crowd. I'm all in. I'm a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And then there are those who are in the middle. They haven't surrendered at all. And I bring that up this morning because the truth of the matter is there is no middle. Jesus made this painfully clear over and over and over again. And we don't talk about it much in the church anymore. And so I'm going to remind you this morning. He said there's a wide gate and a narrow gate. There's no third gate. There's a wide road and a narrow road. No third road. A good tree, a bad tree, no third tree. There's a false prophet and a real prophet. No third prophet. Some people build on rocks. Some people build on the sand. There's no third option. You are either fully devoted to Jesus Christ right now, or you are not. How about it? See, a lot of people like to be in the middle. And you can tell middle people because middle people like to have control. Remember like we talked about last week? They, they, they love the Lord, and again, they, they'll surrender. They give a little bit, and they come once in a while, and they do this and that. But they, they got one place in their life where they don't want to let control of and if it means being a devoted follower of Jesus means risking something they don't want to take a risk on, like maybe their career or their important job or their retirement or their lifestyle, if it means humbling themselves and getting some help on a marriage that's crumbling, if it means getting serious about reading the Bible and praying, if it means stop sleeping with somebody you're not married to, if it means breaking a bad habit, if it means change something, then middle people will say, hands off in this part of my life. I love you, but I want to control this. And again, I'm hoping that everybody in here this morning is a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ because you either are or you're not. Okay, so at this point in my notes last week, I noticed that I'm six minutes in. I haven't even started my sermon yet. I'm on a soapbox again. That's two soapboxes in three weeks. That's not very good. And so I'm going to make a deal with you this morning. If you will examine yourself at the altar this morning and just get clean with God and ask Him, am I admired these days or devotee? Because, man, one is 
headed for glory and one is not, then I'll move, I'll stop and get on with the message. And here's a little hint. The sooner I get on with the message, the sooner I'll be done, right? Okay, so we got a deal. You come up this morning and get honest with God and ask him, am I really in or out? Because I want to be in, okay? Well, as we pick up our story with Israel again this week, remember we talked a couple, three weeks ago about how they cycled? They're in a bad cycle. They're in a cycle like I think the United States is in right now. They've moved away from God. They're doing bad things. And God has sent them messenger after messenger, prophet after prophet, and they're not listening. 2 Chronicles 36, verse 15 reads like this. The Lord, the God of our fathers, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on the people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, scoffed at his prophets, until the wrath of God was aroused against his people, and there was no remedy. By the way, I'm not getting back on the soapbox, but middle people don't listen either, okay? Listen to Randy Frazee. I love what he says. He says, God waited patiently for 208 years before he finally decided he could not allow his nation to continue rejecting him and his ways. Will the day come when he runs out of patience with the United States? The United States has been in existence for roughly the same fatal span of time. I don't have the answer, he says, but the idea that this could happen ought to motivate all of us who love and trust God to pray for our nation, and not just pray, but to seek to put Jesus on the throne of our lives so that we can be the kind of husbands and wives and parents and neighbors and church members and citizens who will do the right thing in the name of Jesus Christ. I love that from him. Okay, back to Israel. They have pushed God to the limit. Remember, we've talked about this so many times before. God takes it and takes it and takes it and takes it, and one day God says, I'm not taking it anymore. It's this day for Israel, and the northern kingdom gets wiped out by the Assyrians. Remember that story? There's 185,000 of them, and they have been systematically eating up nations anyway, and the northern kingdom of Israel had no chance against them without God's help, and so they just took them. Meanwhile, the southern kingdom has been watching all this happen. And you'd think they'd get a clue. You know, like when you were a kid and one of, the, one of your brothers or sisters just got your mom and dad pushed to the limit, you know, and, and you're thinking, uh-oh, that's coming. They should have figured this out. Because this is the neat thing about God. He always warns first. Always. And this is no exception. If you read Isaiah chapter 2, uh, 6 through 12, Isaiah warned them with crystal clear clarity. You all are in big trouble. You're moving away from God. You got idols. You got defiled things in the temple. You've uh, cooked up schemes with the Easterners. You're doing divination with the Philistines. God's coming after you people. And I'm not kidding you. At one point, he said, You might want to find yourself in a cave or crawl under a rock because the terror of God is about to hit. And I love that about God. He always warns first, which I think is nice of him. Now, he warns us normally in two main ways. He warns us a lot, but the two main ways is one way he will just speak, either from his word or from somebody speaking his word. And, and, and then the key is you want to be listening. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. Some of you he's speaking to right now. Hey, you weren't coming to church today, remember? You had no intentions of coming. It storms all night, you lost power, didn't know what it was going to be like. It's going to rain again this morning, but you're here. Why? Because God drew you in here. Because you're doing something right now that he don't want you doing. You're moving in a direction that's going to be devastating if you don't change it. And he wants you to stop. Now here's the good news. If you'll stop it now, not tomorrow, not next week, not in a couple months, but now, you'll save yourself a lot of heartache. 
I'm just telling you, I've been there, experienced that. And that's why some of you are in church this morning. And I'll bet you know that's why you're here. And I bet you already know what he's talking to you about. I want you to make sure you're listening. I cannot tell you how many times in, in the 38 years I've been preaching, somebody comes up to me after church and says, you've been bugging our house? You've been watching us? Because you're speaking right at me this morning. No, sir, I wasn't. No, ma'am, it wasn't me. What, what happened was you, you got drawn into church because God had something to say to you, and you came in with your hearts open and your minds open, and you heard what he had to say. And if that's you this morning, I want you to listen. Because if he's warning you, you want to take heed, okay? Another way that God will warn us is uh, by somebody that's already been down that road, made the mistakes. You know, you learn by seeing. I, I always love the story. There's a, a Hoosier, a Kentuckian, and a Buckeye, and they're serving together in the Middle East. And they got too far off the post and got arrested. And they don't fool with you over there. They took him before the firing squad. Had Hoosier up there first. And they were bearing down on him. Ready, aim. And he yelled, tornado! And they dropped their guns and took off and he made it over the wall. And the Kentuckian thought, well, that's pretty smart because they, they really think we're smart because we are. And uh, so they put him up there next. And drew down on the Kentuckian. Ready, aim. He yelled, earthquake! They dropped their guns and he made it over the wall. And the Buckeye thought, yeah, it's pretty smart, but nobody does it like a Buckeye. You know how they are. So he got up, and they line up the shot. Ready, aim, and he yelled, fire, fire! <laughs> Happy Father's Day, son-in-law. So now the northern kingdom has this unique opportunity. They have watched, or the southern kingdom, they've watched the northern kingdom get just absolutely wiped out. They saw how they had moved away from God. They'd heard all the warnings from uh, Isaiah, and now predictably, here comes the southern kingdom. The Assyrians, going to or the Assyrians down to the southern kingdom. They're going to take them out too. But then King Hezekiah comes on the scene. Now, this is a good king. If you've not read this story for a while, this is good stuff. Uh, he's, this is probably uh, since David. There's not been a king after God's heart anymore in this. this. This guy's all about cleaning up the temple and getting the people back to where they need to be and doing things God's way. In fact, when the Assyrians came uh, their way, the people are terrified. And Hezekiah sounds a lot like Joshua. He says in 2 Chronicles 32:7, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged. We have God with us. By the way, the New Testament assures us that God is with us. And if God is with us, who can be against us, the Bible says. Well, it's interesting, the Assyrians sent messengers to the people, not to the leadership. That's how the enemy attacks. He always attacks the people to strike terror in them. And, and it's, it's in Second Chronicles 32, 10 through 20, but I wasted so much time on um, my soapbox, I'm just going to paraphrase it for you. Basically, what they said was they sent messengers into the people and they scattered this message. Hey, you've been watching. Did the gods of the other nations save them? Do you think your God can save you? <laughs> no way. Don't let Hezekiah lie to you people about this. There is no God that can stand up against the Assyrian army. Ouch. I wouldn't want to have been standing next to those guys, you know what I mean? But i got to tell you something, family. That's what the enemy still does. He whispers in our ears all the time, trying to tell us what God can do and what God can't do. And we need to pay attention to this warning, too, because some of us in here in this room today have an army outside our camp right now, and the odds look pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, the odds look like there's no way God can fix this. There's no way God can put these broken pieces back together. 
There's no way God can heal this. There's no God. This is too messy for God to redeem. And you have an enemy of your soul whispering in your ear right now telling you, way past anything you can do here, pal. Even God can't fix this marriage. Even God can't fix this, this, this sickness. Even God can't redeem this mess. Will you believe me when I tell you, family, those are lies from hell. God can do anything, as he showed in this story. Hezekiah and Isaiah got down on their knees and they cried to God for help, which, by the way, is the first thing you should do when you see an enemy outside your camp. And you've got to love the next verse. The Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and the leaders and the officers in the camp of the Assyrian king, so he withdrew to his own land in disgrace, the end. No war, no battle. God sent one angel, and it whooped up on 185,000 people. One angel. If God be for you, who can be against you? Nothing, I mean. Now, there's some things we need to take home with us before it starts raining and before we come down here and re-examine ourselves this morning. Things showcased by King Hezekiah that can bring blessings from God in our life. And these are not secret codes or magic formulas. These are practical, everyday things in our life that you and I can do to bring God's blessing back to our family and our community and to this nation in rough times. And we are in rough times. Here's the first one. You get committed to purity. Hezekiah was committed to purity. I mean, this, this is a mark of the reign of this king. He, he tried to purify, God, purify God's temple. He, he was, he was going to do everything he could to make sure things were the way they should be. 2 Chronicles 29.3 says, In the first month of the first year of his reign, Hezekiah reopened the doors of the temple of the Lord. That's the first thing he did. He got people back to church. Get back in here. And he got things in the temple that need to be taken out of the temple, defiling things and idols. And he got people back and taught them how to worship and got things going again. He purified the things around him. And we got to remember that the temple of the Lord right now is what? Us. Right here's the temple of the Lord. Is there anything defiled in there? See, we don't talk about purity much in the church anymore. And it's sad, and I'll tell you, I know the reason why we don't talk about purity in the church, because everything's okay today. And if I speak against anything that's okay today, oh my goodness, the emails come, and because we've got to tolerate and be okay with every evil there is. So we don't talk about purity in the church anymore, because it gets us in trouble. And that's too bad, because as it, as it, as it happens, purity is tied to God's blessing in a huge way. And so one of the reasons why we're stuck in the middle is because we won't look to purity. <laughs> we don't want the brokenness and the pain that we have got to go through to get the purity. You know what I'm talking about? And so part of the challenge for me, and I think maybe for a lot of you, is that our standard of purity isn't where it should be. And, and the problem is because we're comparing it with everything else around us. And, and, and let's just be real honest. The standard of purity of our society keeps going down and down and down and down. And if we compare our purity to that instead of the Word of God, everything's okay. I guess what I'm telling you is most of us have a standard of purity level issue. We need to raise it up. I, I found this not too long ago. This is from the uh, Food and Drug Administration. And uh, some of the standards that they have out there for some of the food we eat, <laughs> I got to tell you, it's kind of disgusting. And so I want to make sure I shared it with you before lunch because I'm that kind of preacher. But here's the FDA standard of purity for apple butter. Anybody have apple butter this morning on their biscuits? Here's their standard of purity. You'll be glad to know if, if the mold count is 12% or more, 
or if there's an average of four to five rodent hairs per 100 grams, if the average of five or more insects per 100 gram, then the FDA will pull it from the shelf. Other than that, bon appetit. <laughs> coffee beans, they'll withdraw coffee beans from the shelf if there's 10% of dead insects in, in each bundle. 9% is okay, 10% is out. Or if they find more than one live insect per container off the shelf. Drink up. Oh, here's a good one, mushrooms. The FDA says they cannot be sold if there's an average of 20 or more maggots for 15 grams. 19 maggots is okay in your dried mushrooms. We get to 20, they're pulling it. Fig paste. If there's more than 13 insect heads per 100 grams of fig paste, in two or more samples, the FDA, FDA will ruthlessly toss it from the shelf. Okay, one more. Hot dogs. Uh, you don't want to know. You, you don't, too many kids are going to be eating hot dogs for Father's Day, and I'm not messing it up. Wow. Enjoy, okay? That's all I'm telling you. <laughs> My point is, uh, we would think and like to think that the standard of purity for the food that we eat is pretty high. As it turns out, it's not. But we're used to it. We eat it anyway. And I'm just saying, family, I believe, starting with me, please, that the standard of purity in the hearts of Christians today is not near what it should be. And the reason is, we're used to it. It's, we grew up with it. We see it all the time. We got used to the dark. I think I told you the story once before. Preacher's cue that you're going to hear it again. I was in the seventh grade, and we were watching Patton on TV. George C. Scott. Anybody seen that movie? It's a classic. And he was standing in front of the American flag giving his speech at the beginning, and he said, S-O-B, and my dad came in the room about that time, and my dad went ballistic. My dad didn't go ballistic. You'll meet him one day. He didn't do that. He went ballistic. He turned that TV off, and he turned around everybody in the room, and he said, I don't like this thing anyway, but if I ever hear a word like that on that idiot box again, it's going to be in a pile in the front yard, and you're going to clean it up. Do I make myself clear? You can hear SOB on the Disney Channel now. We're used to it. Our purity standard is way down. In the TV we watch, in the movies we view, in the websites we look at, the music, my goodness, that we listen to. 1 John 1, 8, if we claim to be without sin, we're liars. The Bible says the truth's not in us, but here's the good part. If we confess our sins, He will forgive us and faithfully cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Second part of this whole business was prayer. Hezekiah prayed. Commitment to purity and number two, commitment to prayer, which is what we're getting ready to do. That's what this is all about every week. Um, what's defiling your temple? What's in here right now that shouldn't be in there? What appears to be broken that you can't fix? If you bring it into the light, lay it at this altar, confess it, and say, I don't want it anymore. I want to be a follower. My goodness. Jesus Christ will crush it at the spot. You walk out of here brand new. I'm not saying you'll never do it again. But you walk out of here clear and pure and ready to go. How would you... Why would you give that up? 
That's why you're here. That's why I come every week for the communion table, the symbolic broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. Come up and admit where I'm wrong and re-examine where I'm good. He'll encourage you in the places you're doing well. He'll instruct you in the places where you need some instruction. He'll rebuke you if you need rebuke. I've done all I can do. I've worked on this. I preached it four times last night, twice this morning, so I wouldn't read it. I prayed over it. Praise teams prayed over it. We can't do any more for you, but the Holy Spirit can, and He's in the building. I'm inviting you to come up this morning and get honest with Him. We made a deal. Come up this morning and ask Him, am I an admirer or a follower? Let Him him tell you what you need to do.